ಮಧುರಿಂಗಷ್ಟಾವತಿ ರಾಧಾಕುಂಡಂ ಗಿರಿವರಂ ಮಹೋರಾಧಿಕಮಧಾವಶಂ ಪ್ರಾಪ್ತೀಗುರು ತಂಚಾಕಲ್ಪತರೂಭ್ಯಸ್ಥಾಗ್ರಿಪಾಸಿಂಧುಭ್ಯೈವಶೀತೇಭ್ಯೋ ವೈಷ್ಣವೇಭ್ಯೋ ನಮೋ ನಮಃ ನಿಖಿಲಾಶ್ರುತಿಮೌಲ್ಯರತ್ನಮಲದ್ಯುತಿ ನಿರಾಜಿತಪದಪಂಕಜಂತ ಆಜಿಮುಕ್ತಕುಲಾಯರುಪಶ್ಯಾಮನಂ ಪರಿತಷ್ಟಂ ಹರಿಣಂ ಸಂಶ್ರಯಾಮಿ ಅನರ್ಪಿತಚರಿಂ ಚಿರಾತ್ಕರುಣಯಾವತೀರ್ಣಾಕಲು ಕ್ಷಮಾರ್ಪಯಿತುಮುನ್ನತೋಜ್ವಲರಾಸಂಸುಭಕ್ತಿಶ್ರಿಯಂ ಹರೀಪುರಸುಂದರದ್ಯುತಿಕದಂಬಸಂದೀಪಿತ ಸದಾ ಹೃದಯೇಖಂದರೇಸ್ಫುರತೋ ವಾಸಚಿನಂದನ ಅಜಾನುಲಂಬಿತಾಬುಜೋ ಕನಕಾವದಾತು ಸಂಕೀರ್ತನೈಕಪಿತರೋ ಕಮಲಾಯತಕ್ಷು ವಿಶ್ವಾಂಬರೋ ದ್ವಿಜಾಬರೋ ಜುಗಧಾರ್ಮಪಾಲು ವಂದೇ ಜಗತ್ ಪ್ರಿಯಕರೋ ಕರುಣಾವತಾರು ಲಾದಿನಿ ಶಕ್ತಿಸ್ವರೂಪಾಯ ಗೌರಂಗಸುಹೃದಾಯ ಭಕ್ತಶಕ್ತಿಪ್ರದನಾಯಗದಾಧರ ನಮಸ್ತುತೆ ಹೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣಕರುಣಾ ಸಿಂಧು ದಿನ ವಂಧೋ ಜಗತ್ಪತೆ ಉಪೇಶ ಗುಪೀಕಾಂತರಾಧಾಕಾಂತನಮಸ್ತುತೆ ರಾಧೆ ಬೃಂದವನಾಶ್ರೀಕರುಣಮೃತವಾಹಿನಿ ಕೃಪಯ ನೀಜ ಪಾದಬ್ಜಾದಶನ್ ಮಹ್ಯಂ ಪ್ರದೀಯತ ಭಕ್ತಿಹೀನಾಪರಾಧಲಕ್ಷಯ ಕ್ಷಿಪ್ತಶಾಕಮಾದಿತರಂಗಮಾಧ್ಯ ಕೃಪಾಮಯಿ ತ್ವಂ ಶಲನಾಂ ಪ್ರಪಾನ ಬೃಂದೇನ್ಮಸ್ತೆ ಚರನಾರವಿಂದಂ ಬೃಂದೇನ್ಮಸ್ತೆ ಚರನಾರವಿಂದಂ ಶ್ರೀ ಸಚಿನಂದನ್ ಗೌರಹರಿ ಕೀ ಜಯ ಶ್ರೀ ಶ್ರೀ ಗೌರ್ನಿತ್ಯನಂದ ಕೀ ಜಯ ಶ್ರೀ ಹರಿನಾಮ ಸಂಕೀರ್ತನ ಕೀ ಜಯ ಸಾಧು ಸಂಘ ಕೀ ಜಯ ಗೌರ್ again pranam welcome to all of you thanks so much for time presence energy and trust because somehow or other you're here hopefully hopefully with the willingness to to listen and i'm also here with the same willingness at the same time although i may be the main one opening my mouth so today so to say we are all opening our hearts so whether we open the mouth or not if the heart is open there is dialogue and communication even if words are not being pronounced so so in that sense it's a it's an exchange of trust uh, at least in my conception to get together for speaking talking and listening about krishna is it's an exchange of hearts it's an exchange of trust and that's how we can grow and, and nourish each other basically that's what sadhu sangha basically is so we can grow together as pilgrims that we are all are in this common journey called bhakti mm. one way of thinking of bhakti is as a journey mm. as a pilgrimage mm. 
yatra. In Sanskrit, we have the word yatra. Pilgrimage doesn't necessarily only mean like physical movement, but an internal one. So we are all on a journey, <coughs> an ongoing journey, as we were talking today also. That's another conversation, but the journey never ends. Even when you reach the final destination, so to say, the final stop of the, of the flight, <laughs> the flight lands in a place called Vologbrindavan, if you put, to put it like that, but a whole different journey starts when you land there. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm traveling, I don't know, in two days to Argentina, so my destination is there, so my journey is to Argentina, but when I arrive there, a whole different journey is awaiting me outside of the plane. Of course, they have a, then another journey in the plane is waiting me in a few weeks after that, and so on and so forth. But life, life is a journey. Life is a pilgrimage, if we have the eyes to see. And, and we are pilgrims on, on a sacred journey. And that's how we can conceive of, of each of us, of this lifetime, as a sacred pilgrimage in which all of us are trying to Accompany, support each other, give encouragement, give hope, give relief, give clarity, and so on. Whatever, all the things that are necessary in every, every journey. You have this long, which was, which is the name of this long walk you have here in New Zealand that you made? How is? Oh, I see, I see. So there are different, similar walks in in different places of the world, and as you were mentioning the other day, Ramachandra, Prabhu, that. During that, you you find other pilgrims, other journey partners. Uh, and you share stories, you share support, you share water, you share food, you share shelter, whatever maybe share. You know, some some glance even. You know. That reminds me when recently a few uh, months ago, already in October, we did a, this Dandavat Parikram to Govardhan with a group of. 25 pilgrims so I'm still alive I don't know how <laughs> but we did it it was intense 25 kilometers almost and in Dandava and it was a journey again it was a pilgrimage it was a, and we met so many apart from our official 25 people group there were so many other pilgrims that we may just cross them once in a lifetime but we will just cross glances, no? Maybe I was like lying on the ground and waking up and another one was lying next to me and we just look at each other and just, we didn't need to say words. We just understood what we are doing, no? What's the journey about? And that exchange of glances was enough to okay, continue. Probably I will never see that person again, but we share whatever we, the best thing we could share in that precise moment, we were able to share it, no? So... So in the same way, here we are, our path had crossed somehow, first time, maybe last time, hopefully not, but you never know. So we have to try to exchange in the most uh, authentic way, basically. Let's try to be present for each other from the most uh, authentic way, honest way we can. That's what Krishna values the most. And Krishna values honesty among ev above everything else. Even if still we are very imperfect, Krishna is valuing the honesty, your honesty in imperfection, so to say. And more than dishonesty in perfection. You can do something perfect and internally be cheating yourself in one way or another. You can be a mess 
and you can be honest about the mess you are. And Krishna is like, oh, I'm drawn to that, <laughs> to that sincere heart. As, as I like to mention, that's how Krishna chooses to define a sadhu, interestingly. Sometimes we hear the word sadhu, I think we all, we all have heard that word, sadhu. So how will you translate the word sadhu? Generally, the word sadhu is translated as saintly, a saint, right? And generally, by the idea of saintly, we imagine someone with some aura has to be there, no? some special, like you see the paintings of different people and the, the saints have the... How do you say in... Halo. Halo. Halo? Aureola? In Spanish, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So, anyhow, we may think, okay, that's a sadhu. No. But, so someone who is very pure, very well-behaved, very saintly, sadhu. Now you go to Bhagavad Gita, <laughs> and you will find which is Krishna's opinion about that. What's Krishna's version of sadhu? Who is a sadhu for Krishna? So you go to Bhagavad Gita, there are basically three verses in the Gita where Krishna uses the word sadhu. And the main one, very important verse of the Gita, probably the most controversial verse in the Gita also, <laughs> You go to chapter 9, most important chapter of the whole Bhagavad Gita, the essence of the Gita is just in the middle of it, like you have the most nutritious part of the sandwich in between. <laughs> Krishna is putting the most nourishing advice in chapter 9, Raja Guhya Yoga, the chapter about bhakti, like the, the king of all secrets. And there you go, verse number 30, and Krishna is defining sadhu in a very unconventional way. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Apichit sudura charu bhajanti mamananyabak sadhuriva samantavya samyakya vyasitohisa. So again, you think, okay, sadhu is someone who behaves very nicely, who has a very nice achar. Achar means behavior. And Krishna starts the verse saying, sudurachar. Sudurachar means someone with very bad behavior. Is it? Sudur, achar means good behavior. Durachar means bad behavior. Sudurachar means terrible behavior. <laughs> he says, even if you have such terrible behavior, but you are worshipping me exclusively, you have me as your exclusive goal, you have made that commitment in your heart, I want to worship my Lord exclusively. Although I may be far away from that ideal standard, but I want that surrender. Even if you behave very badly, Krishna says, Sadhu Reiva I consider that person a sadhu. Because he, she is properly fixed in his, her determination of giving himself, herself to me. So it's interesting because that verse speaking about who is a sadhu and Krishna is speaking about someone of very bad behavior, <laughs> but who is very honest about that, about what he or she wants despite the present obstacles. So the, the, the quality that, that, that Krishna puts on the scale when defining sadhu is not so much purity, perfection, being paka in whatever, following certain, it's honesty. Honesty, authenticity. Hmm? There are many other verses in the Bhagavad and Prabhupada translates translates the word satam sa, sa, sadhavam, another verse in the Bhagavad, and 
which can be sadhu, Prabhupada translates as thoroughly honest person. <laughs> and so forth, and so on and so forth. So, here we are to try, trying to be honest. That's the thing we can offer to Krishna. I am, I'm not able to offer perfection to Krishna. <laughs> it's not in my reach. But I can try to be honest about my imperfection. That's the beginning of my perfection, so to say. The beginning of your perfection is to be honest about your imperfection. Your beginning of your qualification is the acknowledgement of, of your lack of qualification. <laughs> that in itself is qualifying you. Like, like we were saying today in the morning, Mahaprabhu is saying, I have no taste for the name. But he's lamenting sincerely. Okay, that's the beginning of having taste for the name. <laughs> so it may sound like counterintuitive, no? but that's how it works. So, anyhow, in connection to this topic of sincerity and honesty that just came, was not in my plan, but it came, <laughs> fortunately, it wasn't the plan of of honesty itself <laughs> to manifest. We want to continue sharing some thoughts about some other of the different sections of the radical personalism book that I've been sharing throughout the last year almost. So today in the morning we share a few words about the notion of radical wholeness, how to be whole practitioners, how to integrate our humanity with our spirituality, how to be holy but whole at the same time, no? and how not to interpret transcendence as any form of evasiveness, re rejection, something that makes our heart more and more um, indifferent. We, want, we don't want our heart to be a rock. We want our heart to melt like ghee, like honey. <laughs> already the heart may be already a rock, so we don't want it to make even more rock-like. So, so we talked about that today in the morning, and that has a lot to do with the conversation and honesty and authenticity, to recognize where we are in our particular journey as human sadhakas, human practitioners, and properly uh, honor our limitations. I remember when I was doing, going back for a minute to the Govardhan Parikram that we were doing with the devotees. There was one day, and I say this a few times already, it was the second day. First day was smooth. We did only one kilometer. Of course, one kilometer sounds little walking, <laughs> but doing Dandavat, it takes a few hours, but still, it was the first day, no? So, Utsa no, you, you begin anything and you're enthusiastic just because you're beginning anything. <laughs> of course, it's two weeks of that. So, first day is... <laughs> So first day was one kilometer, we were, okay, warming up, it was okay. Second day we were told it was two kilometers, well, okay. But actually there was a miscalculation, it was three kilometers. And that was too much, no? Uh, I, <laughs> for me, not for everyone, I'm talking for me. It was a lot, it was more than three hours. Uh, and I remember I, I did like 2.9 kilometers and the, the final meeting point was, let's say, there, that wall, and I was here, and I couldn't move more. <laughs> I just collapsed on the floor. And I was like, 
doing Dandavat, but it seemed that I died because I couldn't move. I was just with my face on the on the dust of Vrindavan, which is not bad. <laughs> I couldn't even lift my head to breathe properly. So I was like, and all the dust from Govardhan was in and out. Not bad. <laughs> but I had totally collapsed. I was very, I was confronted with my limitations, so to say, right? So that's it. The, day, the next day, I was not able to go because my body was like, like if a gang of 25 people have beaten me for three hours, I, I couldn't move a, 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 a limb. So I was talking with one of the devotees about that and telling him, I cannot go. I, ha I have to accept that. No? And he told me, yeah, Maharaj, please honor your limitations. So I like the conception. No? It's not an excuse to, okay, I'm honoring my limitations. What are you doing? I'm being so lazy. I'm honoring my limitations. <laughs> Why are you so neglectful and irresponsible? I'm honoring my limitations. No, you are not, you are not honoring them. No, you, are, you are abusing your limitations. No? So it's not the same. But we have limitations. And we, have, we shouldn't be like, again, neurotic or traumatized. We have to push ourselves as much as we can, as I did the day before, <laughs> till I collapsed. And then I have to reach my limit and honor my limitation, because if not, if I transgress that, I start to mistreat my, my sadhakadeha, my body of practitioner. And that's violence, so to say. <laughs> that's not correct. So we talked today about honoring our limitations. <clears throat> and today I'd like to continue extending the pattern of radical wholeness. What does it mean to be whole? What does it mean to have proper relationships with each other as devotees, as sadhakas, as human beings? Uh, and I'd like to go more in the direction of communication and dialogue and accountability that all of us, all of us needs, needs to be open to. So I'd like to refer to one section of the book that is called Radical Remark. Radical Remark. Like when you present a remark or you receive a remark. So, but in the context of constructive criticism. So Radical Remark is the art of constructive criticism. Criticism is not a bad word. Sometimes we take for granted like criticism is like undesirable, ill motive, bad intention, but no, there is a place for constructive criticism. And many times that's way more um, sobering, enlightening, nourishing than praise. <laughs> you have heard that probably many, many philosophies even, you know? like too much praise can really intoxicate you, basically. <laughs> you can become addicted to kijai. No? <laughs> You may die of an overdose of kijais, as <laughs> I put it. No, you can die of an overdose of different substances. Praise is one of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if there is constructive criticism, I'm not talking here about destructive criticism, but constructive criticism is the middle point between, let's say, blasphemy and, and praise. I mean, I'm not against praise either if it's coming from a constructive place. As we have constructive criticism, we have constructive praise. And both will be humbling. No? If someone is praising me from a genuine, sincere, humble heart, and I'm sincere, <laughs> that praise will be humbling for me. I won't think like, thank you so much. 
yes, I deserve that and more, but it's okay for today. <laughs> no. So both healthy cri criticism, constructive praise, both will be helping us to ground ourselves to be more and more humbled by that. So a few words in that today I'd like to share. Uh, and in connection to how we can express that in in a healthy dialogue, in a healthy conversation. This, this may sound a little bit basic, uh, how to say, basic resources we need to, to develop, but it's important. How to have proper conversation, how to learn how to talk to one another. And someone might say, Maharaj, I already know the alphabet, I know, I can articulate words, I know the Gaudiya Vaishnava glossary from A to Z. Yeah, but having a conversation is something very different. <laughs> no? Being present to one another, being empathic, listening to one another, not being willing to dominate the conversation, not being willing to defeat opponents, but having a conversation, which means I'm opening to talk to you and I'm opening to listen from you. If I open myself to listen for you, I'm opening myself to be transformed by you by what you have to tell me. I'm opening to transformation. Wow, that's, that can be dangerous. <laughs> or we will feel it dangerous. No? Like transformation, sometimes we are terrified about change. Hmm. But if it's in a proper place, in a proper environment, that's what we need, to be transformed by honest conversations. Mm -hmm. Probably that's the thing we need the most in this world, to have honest conversations, to have the capacity to have honest conversations. Hmm. So in, in the Vedas, there are three types of conversation described, although one of, uh, only one of them I will qualify as real conversation, which is Bada, Jalpa, Ambitanda. I don't know if you heard that. Bada, Jalpa, Ambitanda, which is basically Sattvic, Rajasic, Tamasic conversation. Bita, for example, Vitanda means Tamasic conversation, which, which again, as you will see, is no conversation at all. And it's the two of us get together but basically, I don't even allow you to talk. When you start to talk, I'm talking on top of you. And the other one is maybe trying to talk on top of me. And we are just like having a simultaneous monologue. No, not dialogue, but a simultaneous monologue. <laughs> and each one wants to be right, so to say. Each one wants like, to defeat the other person. Even if it's not an official debate, I just want to impose my my perspective on you and the other person may be in the same mood hmm. that's this the Vedas called Vitanda which again if you want to call that conversation okay for me that's not a conversation then Jalpa is a Rajasic conversation it's a little bit more civilized in, in, in that I allow you to talk but I'm just waiting for my turn <laughs> So one says, I'm not really listening. It's like, I'm just being like, how to say, in, in a protocol-like level, I'm being like, kind. Okay, please, Ramachandra Prabhu, yes, you have to say something. But I'm really, I don't care for what you have to say. I'm just like, waiting. Yeah, okay, I, yeah, I'm supposed to let the other person talk. Okay, but I don't care. Actually, I want to, to shine myself. No? I want you to hear what I have to say. So still... That's not the great thing. Still, I, I want to present my point on top of the other person. It's an egoic 
short circuiting still is there. Ambada, which is the sattvic conversation, the real conversation, in Sanskrit the word for conversation is bada or sambada, is the two of us are meeting and I don't want to defeat you, you don't want to defeat me. We both want to be defeated by truth, so to say. We want truth to win. <laughs> no. So if for truth to be established, I need to realize that I was wrong, that's totally welcome. And, and I will celebrate my, my being defeated by truth. <laughs> I will be humble enough to, yes, truth prevailed. And the other person will have the, similar, the same disposition. We get together so truth conquers over us. Now that's basically what we say when we say ki jai. Jai basically means victory. All victory too and so many things we have to say in that connection. So we want all of Guru, Vaishnava, Krishna, Mahaprabhu, Kijai, Kijai, Kijai. May all you be victorious in my life. May you be victorious over me. <laughs> may my, <laughs> how to say, may my uh, unhealthy side of personality be defeated by what you have to say, what you have to offer, by your mercy. May, may your mercy conquer it all. May I be conquered by your mercy. So that's the spirit of a real conversation. And in that conversation, again, we may have some things to say to one another. We may have some remarks to make. But if it's in the spirit of bada, some bada, proper dialogue, proper interaction, uh, nobody will feel attacked, nobody will feel actually losing anything. Everyone will feel it's a win-win scenario here. Hmm? Uh, and that's one of the ways to show, to show love to one another. Because we can talk about love. I mean, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, our tradition is all about love, ultimately. And we can talk about love, but we have to show love in motion. <laughs> we have to, how to say, to play out our beliefs. I believe in love. Let's see. <laughs> like I say today in the morning, we can say, let's see. Let's live together for a week. Let's see. Let's see where we are. <laughs> so to say. Because we can say we believe in so many things, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but we need to, to see how much that plays out in our daily life. Sometimes in our daily life we may say, I'm, I'm a devotee of Krishna, I believe in Krishna, but sometimes we may behave on a daily basis as if Krishna does not exist, as I, if I am the controller. If I am the, so for that moment, for all intents and purposes, I'm being an atheist. In a practical level, <laughs> I may say Krishna ki jai, but I may behave as if he does not exist. So that's called sometimes functional atheism. <laughs> I don't, I don't say I'm an atheist, but I behave as such. Or as I mentioned in my book, we will say we are personalists, but sometimes we may treat each other quite impersonally. I don't need to say I want to merge in Brahman to be impersonal. <laughs> I can just be neglectful in my relationships with others. I can treat you not as a person. That's enough to be impersonal. It's not so difficult to be impersonal. <laughs> so we have to 
to remain aware of this. <clears throat> so, so today I'd like to share a few reflections on this connection, how we can uh, share with each other observations, with each other, with juniors, with peers, with seniors, what is, the, what is the way, what is the mood to communicate things that we need to communicate, whether there is something beautiful, whether there is something uh, uncomfortable, some inconvenient truth that needs to be brought to the table. Is there a place for that? Are conversations that we cannot have at any point, are there forbidden taboo topics or whatever? Or how to address everything? So I'd like to share the brief section of my book that speaks in this connection. Uh, I don't have the book here, but I have a PDF. So it says like this, it's just brief. It says, regarding radical remark, it says, criticism is not per se something necessarily offensive. In fact, friendly criticism is an absolutely crucial component for any mature conversation and relationship to exist and evolve. Unfortunately, some Gaudiya representatives tend to weaponize concepts like aparad and even demonize any form of critique as something to be avoided at all costs. Instead, we should learn the art of constructive criticism through which we offer and receive advice and perspective in the spirit of selfless service. We call this radical remark. Mm -hmm. that's, that's page 55, just in, 75, just in case. <laughs> so again, the idea here is to show the importance of how criticism can be a form of, can not only be allowed, cannot only be possible, but also can be a form of affection, even. If I love someone, I will have to tell that person. I mean, probably the person who will be speak strongly to you will be the person who is closest to you. I, I won't start to do here some personal confession department between husband and wife and please bring your testimonies to the table. But I'm seeing, seeing a few faces like I'm saying, and they're like, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> as long as it comes from a place of affection and concern. It may be painful for the, for the false ego, maybe, but if it comes from a place of affection, it's like, wow, thank you. No? That's your love also coming. No, love is not just like, again, caressing and kijai forever. <laughs> you will spoil the person by doing that. No? So there is place also for the other type of input, because I'm so concerned for your best interest I have to tell you this. I risk telling you this even if you may get angry with me. <laughs> no, but I, I have to tell it to you because I love you. Hopefully I'm telling that to you in a compassionate way, committed way, but I cannot remain silent and just know that something is there but look in another direction. I don't, I don't feel that's, that's love, basically. So, as I mentioned, unfortunately sometimes in certain parts of our Gaudiya community, and with this I'm not pointing to one direction or another, but I've heard many times that has happened. <laughs> Unfortunately, the, the, the term aparat is invoked many 
more than more than it should so to say <laughs> when sometimes we need to talk about something when sometimes something may not be going on correctly and we need to see that we are seeing that but don't dare to talk about that don't, don't even dare to think about that because that's a parat no? and you don't want to be labeled as an aparadi right <laughs> no? in one sense that label has so much weight throughout the years and generations it has acquired like a weight of its own so to say so if you enter into the aparadi box it's, it's almost kind of, it's like our eternal, our version of eternal hell or something like that. <laughs> I mean, we don't have an eternal hell, but it's what gets closer than to that. And, and of course, with this, I don't want to downplay up the possibility of apparatus and the consequence of that, because that's there for some reason, that's mentioned in the scriptures. But also it's important that we understand what apparatus is and don't put many other things that are not apparat into the apparat equation. Oh, like, oh, Maharaj, I, I don't know. I walk behind you and step into your shadow. Such an offender. Uh, and it's like, relax a little bit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> don't go crazy, right? I mean, so that's not a parad. No, that's not a parad. It, it has a lot to do with intention we have. It's, it has to do with intention. So it, it has to do with having the, the heart in the right place or in the wrong place. No? Basically, a parad. A parad means that which goes against love. That's it. That's what a parad is. When you do something that goes in the opposite direction of love. But also, if you do that, and probably we do that often, it's not just like a, if you do that, there's no way of going back. If you do that, you invoke the opposite of that and move forward. You know? if, if I treated you in a non-loving way, if I treated Vaishnava unlovingly, <laughs> okay, that's aparat. That goes against love. That's what aparat means. Don't try to add some other, like, again, eternal, hellish stuff. You did something that is not aligned with love. You become aware of that, hopefully. You acknowledge that. You repent sincerely, and you try to counteract that by invoking the opposite of that. And move forward. Life, life goes on. It's not like, no, no, but you are not paradi because you did whatever, no? as we say the other day. We have to be generous with one another in the sense of we, we shouldn't be judging each other by even apparatus that we may have done in the past. So that's one thing. But another thing is, is there is something actually going wrong? And I'm seeing that and I feel the need to talk about that. That's not apparatus. Maybe the other person is doing apparatus and I'm seeing that and I need to talk about that. So in a from a constructive place. So how can that be apparatus? But sometimes the term is weaponized. Sometimes we have the apparat button, and whenever we need it's like press and froze everyone. You froze everyone, it's like, oh dear. No, no, I don't want to be apparat, so, okay. Conclude it there, close the book, close the chapter, move forward. No? Like sometimes I joke, <laughs> sometimes also we have the achintya button. No? 
opportunity is inconceivable. So sometimes the devotee may be giving a class and someone asks him something that he doesn't know how to reply, and it's like, achintya. It's achintya, Prabhu, okay? No need for more questions. Achintya, it's inconceivable. Next question. No. <laughs> so, of course, sometimes we need to, to say it's achintya, inconceivable. It's not that it's wrong to press the button, but we can become like addicted to that button. And there are a few other buttons again. Again, you have the apparat button also. <laughs> you start to think too much, to see too much, to talk too much, apparat. Mm -hmm. stop, stop talking, stop thinking, because you will be an offender and you know the consequence of that. <laughs> so it's a form of, you, we may use the, the, the notion of apparat, which is real, which has its application, but we maximize that and it becomes what today they call cancel culture. No? Like, you cannot speak. No? Whenever you are talking, no free speech, so to say, no critical thinking. And we have to foster that, as I, we say this day, Prabhupada say, I want my followers to be independently thoughtful people. That's the opposite of having no critical thinking. I want them to have eyes to see, ears to hear, mind to think, to have criterion of their own. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's important that we uh, give, our, give ourselves permission to, <laughs> to think, to feel, to see. No? With the heart in the right place. Again, I'm not here promoting a, an, an anarchic... Uh, civil war or rebellion or anything, but but just to be uh, to in, to honor our own integrity and to allow ourselves to be honest with ourselves at what we are going through. Mm -hmm. Because again, sometimes there may be a lot of uh, fear. If not, we create a culture of fear, a culture of intimidation, a culture where certain things cannot be talked about, mm -hmm. and and that's not that's not healthy. We should be open to whatever needs to be talked about, let's talk about it. We shouldn't have problems with any topic. That shows there's transparency. Transparency. If there's transparency, we have to talk about anything. Even if it's embarrassing, even if it's uncomfortable, everything we get. Because some topics will be, won't be sense enjoyment precisely. <laughs> let's put it like that. <laughs> will be uncomfortable truth but that we may need to confront in order to grow. Again, life is not just cotton and everything in pink color. No? We have to go through some particular tunnels of complexity that needs to be integrated. Integration of complexity. I like that expression always. No. There's lots of complexity and we need to learn how to integrate that. So sometimes we have this idea, no? Some, especially with certain figures in, in, in an authority position. I don't know. You agree? Yeah. It can happen. So if someone is in authority position, it's like, how to say in English, um, unquestionable. Like there's nothing you can ask, there's nothing you can say, there's nothing you can question. And this, I don't think that's healthy. I think this, the same person who is in that position should promote, of course not promote, like criticize me as much as you can, not from that place, but just like, if there is something that you need to talk about, let's have a conversation. Even if I'm your guru, 
let's have a conversation even if if I am in whatever stage or everyone thinks I'm in whatever stage, sometimes different things can happen. We can talk. Because sometimes we, we, we promote even some extreme myths in terms even of the guru, like the guru is infallible. I've heard that many times. The guru is infallible. That's nowhere in Shastra. The guru is, infa- the guru is omniscient. The guru has to know everything about everything. And it's like, the real question is, why you need to think like that? <laughs> why you need to make, to make that person ex- so extremely, absolutely omniscient and perfect? Probably because our faith is not strong enough. And I need you to be absolutely perfect, so my faith is not challenged. <laughs> because if you forget something, oh, my faith is so weak that it shatters at the, at the minimum imperfection. You follow my point? Sometimes externally it may, it may, be, it may be seen as strong faith. Not like, I don't know, my guru is perfect, knows everyone, is omniscient. I was like, wow, such a strong faith. But actually it may be a symptom of weak faith, which means I'm not, I need to see you as in that level of extreme perfection because I'm not willing to offer unconditional service. I'm only willing to offer conditional service, which means only if you are perfect, I love you. But if I see some imperfection, that that's a problem. And of course, there are different imperfections. No? A guru can have imperfections. Even a pure devotee can have imperfections on cer- of certain type. I don't know. Can A guru cannot know certain things. It's okay. No? Like once someone asks the Prabhupada, so, Prabhupada, who is the Yuga avatar of Treta Yuga? No. And Prabhupada say like, I don't know. <laughs> he didn't press the chintya button. <laughs> he just said, I don't know. And he was like normal. No, it's not like, I don't know. So like, I don't know. It's not that, oh, Prabhupada now becomes diminished because he doesn't know his his point also was like why do you feel the need to know that that's more like an intellectual curiosity you know like Prabhupada what's the name of the grand 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 grandfather of uh, Srila Rupa Manjari in Golok Brindavan Um, (laughs) why you're asking that question that's the main question (laughs) So Prabhupada, probably, probably, even pro, probably Prabhupada knew, but he said, I don't know. Or probably he didn't know. And it's okay. Of course, certain questions a guru has to know what to reply. But certain questions he can not know. And it's not making the, the person less. You follow my point? Mm-hmm. But if we, if, if, if we in our faith think, no, you have to know everything about every single thing, that's too much. No? The guru is not omniscient. It's not like Gurudev. What is my child doing at this precise moment at home? The guru doesn't know. And it's okay. <laughs> Again, guru is not Christian. Christian is omniscient. Guru is not omniscient. If you try to make all this one, you are saying that the guru is Krishna in every sense of the term. And that's Mayavad. The guru is Krishna in one sense. A genuine guru is Krishna in a representational sense. 
but don't go beyond that because you start to enter into the land of impersonalism. I'm God, he's God in every sense and so on. I'm saying this because sometimes a guru, of course there are different gurus, there are different degrees of gurus and that's another long conversation, but sometimes we have had the experience that some devotees serving in that position uh, have committed some mistakes. There are mild mistakes, what I will call, and there are grave mistakes. No? Just to also make the difference. Now, one thing is, oh, Gurudev forgot a verse in class. <laughs> okay, it's a mild mistake. No? I won't say, that's compromising your integrity, Gurudev. You forgot that line of the verse. That's okay. And, and, and you don't need to over-justify that. Like, oh, Gurudev, that, this is a Leela. He's testing me. Actually, he can never forget the verse. He can forget the verse. It's okay. <laughs> no, so we have to learn also to normalize those mild mistakes. This is a famous story of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He was <clears throat> mentioning something in, in one lecture he gave, and there was one devotee transcribing the lecture. And at one point, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarvaitakur says something in English and he mispronounced a word. So all the devotees were, oh, Gurudev said, I don't know, instead of table, he said table. Mm-hmm. So they were, from now on, the dictionary has to change. <laughs> because the pure devotee has revealed the actual way of referring to that object. They went in that direction. And everyone was like, yes, Jai Gurudev. <laughs> and Srila Siddhar Maharaj was there. And generally, he was considered by most like the senior disciple of Prabhupada Santa. He said, that's not correct. That's a Kanishna mentality. He said, a more mature mentality will correct that in service to Gurudev. And without thinking that that's compromising the integrity of one's guru. But I will point to that mistake in service to him. You follow? No. So, so the presentation of what he's saying in that language is correct. Instead of the dictionary has to change or something. No? Let's call Oxford and Cambridge. They have to adjust table in all their books because my Gurudev has gave the ultimate revelation. That's too much. <laughs> too much. That's not Guru Nishta. That's not strong faith in Guru. You are being a fanatic only. <laughs> With good heart, but it's too much. So again, the guru can engage in some of those mild mistakes. Uh, but also there are some other mistakes which are not supposed to happen, so to say, in someone serving in that situation, which of course, sometimes it happens, it's unfortunate, we don't wish that, we were not planning any of that, but maybe a few of us have gone through some of those experiences. Life happens. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> Uh, but my point is, when that happens, also we need to have some criteria to differentiate and not think, oh, that's also a mild mistake, no problem. It's, Gurudev is beyond all that, he's never affected, even if this, whatever, gross form of abuse <laughs> or something is going on. It's a lila, he's testing, no, 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 we have to separate. And it's not, an, my point is not an offense to, ups, to look at that. Even if we are looking at that with a good heart, again, with healthy 
concern, constructive criticism, does not operate. One, one thing is to see faults, and another thing is to find faults. So the problem is to find faults. Scripture says to be a fault finder. Not like I'm like, okay, hmm, bhakti, hmm. You didn't put the the glass so perfectly today. That was not perfect. And, and you did your best, and it was great. But I I still look some look for the 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 half. We say in Spanish the empty half of the glass. Instead, if you have a glass half full with water, this full, but imagine this half full. I concentrate on the empty half instead of the full half. No? So, so that's fault finding. That's not healthy. But if you see a fault, that's not the same. No? There's a fault, you happen to see it. That's not apparat. Mm-hmm. Especially if you are trying to, to benefit the person and to, to benefit yourself in a healthy way. No, l- l- let me share a few, one word that Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, just to put this case to rest in one sense. And he's very clear. There's an article he wrote called Vaishnav Ninda. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur says the following. It's very clear. He says, provided one has the right motive, and that's the first thing, and that's not an easy one. We have to be introspective. Provided one has the right motive, the scriptures have not condemned a careful analysis of someone's faults. Proper motive is of three types. Desiring the welfare of the other person, desiring the welfare of the world, and desiring one's own welfare. <laughs> so he's making a very sober presentation. He's saying, First of all, you have to have the right motive, so investigate your own heart. But if it comes from a place of well-wishing and welfare for you, for the person, for everyone, you can engage in, a, he says, in a careful analysis of someone else's faults. Of course, of your own faults to begin with. <laughs> it's not just about pointing outside. But sometimes the situation may request that, and there is place for that. It's not uh, forbidden, it's not offensive, it's not demonic. <laughs> I don't know, there are many words that sometimes we use. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's an art, that's why I call the art of constructive criticism. I, I once framed that in four steps, in connection to what Bhaktivinoda Thakur say. No? So what, what do I need to do for my criticism to be constructive mm-hmm. and not be destructive and not be offensive maybe first if I'm seeing I'm seeing a fault not trying to find but I'm seeing a fault in Trivikram Prabhu with your permission just using you as an example (laughs) so I'm seeing an X fault whatever it is first of all what I have to I should do before just jumping on his neck and, and shouting how faulty he is <laughs> I should first investigate is that not my own fault just being projected onto him mm-hmm. no it's not just my own stuff my own lens no it's like if I put glass a, a glass with red lenses and I say wow everything is why you are all red today <laughs> no and it's not you are not red it's just my lenses filtering my experience so if I have a certain 
whatever. There, if you have intense envy, sometimes you may feel all of you are envious of me. And it's just my own projection. The scriptures say, Atma van manjati jagat. Whatever it's in your inner world, that's how you see the outer world. So first we have to make very sure <laughs> what I'm seeing in the other person is not my own stuff. Just projected into the other so I don't have to take responsibility. It's you who have that. And I'm the victim. Poor me. <laughs> so once I realize, no, no, it's something that is present in the other person, still I will recommend first see the good in that person before rushing into the thing that you want to criticize constructively first make a nice list of all the beautiful virtues and attributes of that person so you don't see that person only in connection to that thing that you will point <laughs> sometimes we fail into that try to i don't know I, will, I won't tell you that you are doing that but try to think if you are doing that sometimes if you see someone else doing a mistake generally we in that person at least in that moment we kind of reduce that person to that mistake you are that mistake <laughs> and we suddenly forget all the other things that, that that person has beautifully all the beautiful potential that the person has even if there are not so many beautiful things at present still there is a bright potential waiting for every soul so that's the second step first don't project your own thing on the other second first see the good in that person third Ask yourself, what's my intention in sharing this remark to this person? Why am I doing that? For what? Instead of being impulsive, like, why I want to share with you this thing that I'm seeing? Why? What's my intention? My, my motivation? It's very, we have to pay attention to our intentions. That's what Krishna takes. One name of Krishna is Bhava Grahi Janardana. You have heard that bhava grahi janardana. Krishna only takes the essence of our of our actions, our moods, our intention. Which, in one sense, you can say, "Oh, that's so nice." He does he doesn't care for all the faults I may do externally. Yes, but he's taking the essence of your intention. So, what's the essence of your intention? Sometimes that's that's not the ideal, and we have to inspect that. So, <clears throat> check your intention. And finally, if you realize, okay, what I'm about to say to that person is not my own projection. What I am about to say to that person has been prefaced by a long list of good stuff. And I check my intentions and I want the best for him. Still, there is one step for it to be healthy criticism, constructive criticism, which is I'm telling this to you, but... I'm committing myself to accompany you in the process of improving this thing that I'm pointing to you. You can count of me. I'm with you. Because imagine if I come and say, Kopal, you are this. You have this. Good luck. And I go. And I leave you with the... With the it's like, oof. <laughs> it's like, but if I say, I'm seeing this. I wish you the best. That's why I'm sharing. And you can count of me. To work on this and I'm here to support you, to accompany you. You are not alone. Let's work together. Okay, that's you receive more like hope and <laughs> strength to okay, I'll try to 
to, to change that. Thank you. Thank you. So there is a commitment to accompany each other on the journey. So that's, I will say, constructive criticism. <laughs> it concludes even in a sense of empowerment for the person who receives the critique. Because it's feeling, wow, this person came with affection, with good intention, with sincerity, and he or she's committing to accompany me in this thing that I need to change. Wow, almost nobody's willing to, to, to tell me those things like that. So I feel cared for, loved by that person, empowered. And that's why I will consider constructive criticism as a form of affection. Rupa Goswami says, again, fourth verse of the Upadeshamrita, Priti Lakshanam. He speaks about six loving interactions among devotees. <clears throat> One of them is Guhyama Keti Prichati. Rebuild your mind in confidence. And sometimes that will in, in, include remarks, constructive criticism. And Rupa Goswami says, that's Priti Lakshanam. It's a symptom of love. So we are to express how much we love each other also in that way. That's, that's invitation, how to, whatever we do, how to make that a pretty lakshana. <laughs> whether if I cook for you, whether if I embrace you, whether if I share knowledge with you, whether if we dance together in kirtan, whether if I share some remark, how all of that fits into pretty lakshana, how everything we do is a symptom of love. You know? I know it's not easy, I'm not saying, I never used the word easy in the whole class, as you can notice. <laughs> but never the word impossible either. So I like to say, the opposite of easy is not difficult. The opposite of easy is impossible. And difficult is the middle point. <laughs> so we, are, we have to look for the difficult. The easy is boring because it's easy. The impossible is discouraging because it's impossible. <laughs> so the middle point is difficult. It's possible, but it's difficult. But through the difficulties that we learn and we grow. So from that place, we should be <clears throat> willing to, to embrace this remark. No, I mean, if it's coming from a proper place, we should Im imbibe that. If it's a symptom of affection, I need affection. Who, who doesn't? So if we need affection, and presenting a remark can be a symptom of affection, I will be thirsty for that, thirsty for constructive criticism, thirsty for honest feedback and peer review. If I am sincere, I will feel myself, I'm in need of that. I'm, I, I'll be begging for that. Even if I'm a guru or authority figure, it's not that because I'm a guru, no longer nobody can tell me anything. Now. I'm just, being guru means I tell, I, I let to tell everyone what to do, but nobody can tell me anything now. So that's the new. No, no, that's not the idea, of course. <laughs> but we can understand the, in, in that way. No? And that's completely isolating, basically. No? We lose sight with, with reality. We lose sight with feedback and interaction. And, and, and I always like to, to invoke the example of Vyasadev. Vyasadev, in one sense, is like the archetype of the guru figure. In the Bhagavatam. When we in our calendar celebrate Guru Purnim, that's the day of appearance of Vyasadev. It's Vyasa Purnim. So the appearance of him is the day of the Guru. So he really embodies this idea of the Guru figure. 
And Vyasa in the Bhagavatam, as we know, he, he's acknowledging his shortcomings with his work as a compiler. And he feels frustrated and it's not enough and I haven't done. So he's vulnerable. No, he's open to that. He goes to his guru. He begs for advice. He's open to remark. Narad Muni corrects him, chastises him lovingly. <laughs> so he's, Vyasa is the guru of so many, but still he's open to feedback and remark open to grow and to learn. Then, then he's instructing Bhagavatam eventually to Sukadev Goswami. And when Sukadev Goswami is speaking Bhagavatam to Parikshit, where is Vyasadev? The guru. The guru of the speaker, Sukadev, Vyasadev is listening. <laughs> As one more with all of the other students, he's listening to his own disciple <laughs> speaking Bhagavatam. That's that Vyasadev say, I'm Vyasadev. I have to give the class now. Bring my disciple down from the Vyasas. He's, he's, he's not like that. He's just absorbed as a student, as a disciple himself. From his disciple, he's learning. Not only Vyasadev, next to Vyasadev is Narad Muni, who is Vyasa's guru. <laughs> so Narad Muni is listening to his disciple's disciple in ecstasy. Again, there, at that point, there are no longer hierarchies. It's not like, hey, we are guru, he should be done, I should be up. It's like Krishna's presence is flowing through the mouth of that person. We are, we are all disciples. No, we are all students drinking that. Nobody's considering themselves, I'm higher, I'm low. I mean, we are all servants of that dhara, of that descending current, so to say. Hmm? So, so Vyasadeva is a very important example in this sense. He allows himself to be corrected publicly. No, I mean, the Bhagavatam is there for the whole world to see. He's, Vyasa doesn't have a problem. Oh, my testimony will be there in the Bhagavatam and everyone will know that I, I have this shortcoming and my guru told me. No, he's, he's showing that to the world. No? So a genuine guru o- o- often allows... Uh, the public to witness their own correction also with this idea in mind. No? This will promote education, it will promote healing on a societal level, so to say. No? A teacher is being corrected in, a, in an exemplary way. Everyone else would witness that. It was like, wow, great. No? That, that's a way more realistic and healthy thing that Gurudev can never be mistaken if, if he ac- accepts some mistake and apologizes there's some problem. No, no, it, that can be charming. That can be empowering. That can be inspiring. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and as we said the other day, even in some particular cases, like Narahari Sarkar Thakur mentioned, there is the possibility that the, that the disciple may point to some shortcoming to the guru. <laughs> Again, that's not generally the rule, but in some extreme cases, the guru may unfortunately do something that is not the ideal. And the disciple in that situation, if he or she is seeing that, he has to go to the guru in service to the guru and remark, Guru Dev, <laughs> this is not what you taught me. <laughs> no, please go back to the path. No, please. I remember I read that first time, I was like shocked. Uh, unless uh, until I, I then found myself doing that. <laughs> I had to do that. I was like, why? Well, for some reason that this was written. Okay, now I can understand. No? 
So it's, a, it's all about sincerity. In one sense, if the guru and the disciple are both sincere, it, it doesn't matter who corrects whom. Because if both guru and disciple are humble, are sincere and surrender to the truth, if, if a genuine correction comes, it will be welcome. Because I'm being benefited by that. So what's the problem? There's no problem. So I think that it's important that we we reach to that level of, of understanding. And we can, again, promote, give ourselves permission, give others permission to, to have the conversations we may need to have about whatever topic without fear, without shame, without guilt trip, without intimidation, uh, without different types of biases that sometimes also like paralyze us, that sometimes when, when, when we confront some inconvenient truth, there are some sections in our unconscious even that kind of mm -hmm. shut. So the conversation doesn't happen. You may have heard the word confirmation, the expression confirmation bias, mm -hmm. no? which basically means the tendency to reject whatever doesn't fit in in my paradigm, no? whatever doesn't fit in with my current understanding, with my current belief. Or Unconsciously, it's like, I'm, I cannot hear that. It's no? confirmation bias. So it's important that we work on those things because sometimes um, it takes us to not want it to see some things. Or sometimes to see things but to not say anything. To be silent and sometimes engaging in what sometimes is called sense of omission. We have the sense of commission. You have committed some sin but you can also engage in sins of omission. You can know that someone else is doing a sin and you omit that. You look in another direction, so to say. You become silent when your voice is required, so to say. That's mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita. There's one verse that I quoted in my book, which basically says, a person who knows things as they are and still does not bear witness becomes involved in sinful activities. So that's Chaitanya Charitamrita again. That's our Shastra. And if we know that some things are not as they should be happening, and we just witness that passively, knowing that this is compromising my integrity, <laughs> that creates a problem, as we were saying yesterday. There's moments in life when we are put to choose your integrity <laughs> or... Keep your integrity and lose position, fame, benefits, social, or lose your integrity and keep all the perks. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to choose. Mm -hmm. And many times we will be invited to choose that on many levels. That's how, I mean, that's how it works. You know? Like when Krishna is playing the flute, the gopis hear the flute call. In one sense, they are invited to leave behind all considerations. All, all, all public opinion, what the world will say about me, what will be my reputation. I will leave everything behind just for the call of the flute. Or I have a lots of perks that I don't want to let go. Do you follow my point? No? So that's happening on a daily basis in the Lila. Krishna plays the flute. And of course, in the Lila, everyone is willing to <laughs> let go everything and just go there. But here now, we are being prepared for that. So we will be put in those situations a few times 
And, and that will be Krishna's flute call, actually, coming to our lives in the form of a particular situation. We may not be hearing literally a flute playing, but a particular situation is Krishna's flute call knocking on your door and, and inviting you like, okay, open the door or don't open the door. <laughs> so gradually we have to, of course, develop some, uh, how to say, trust and courageous, courageousness, courage, it's easier, <laughs> and just try it no? and trust Krishna. Even if the price of that will be, we will lose some things, which in time we will lose them anyway. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> so ultimately we cannot lose anything. The only thing we are losing is the chance of running after the flood call. Every other, all the other things we think we have, we, we don't have them. So we already lost them. <laughs> Position, fame benefits, perks, stuff, blah, 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 blah. That never belonged to us. No? So, but sometimes we need to, to realize that. And sometimes the realization is the hard way. That's what Kunti says in the Bhagavad And when she says, Tvama kinchana gocharam janmai shwari srutasi virida manamadapumam naibarhatya vidatum vai tvama kinchana gocharam She says, Oh Krishna, only those who have been materially exhausted can approach you with a sincere heart. <laughs> Prabhupada translated the term akinchana as materially exhausted. That's an interesting expression. <laughs> and she says, those who are still very much attached to Janmaishvarya, Shruta, Shribir, no? high birth, opulence, uh, knowledge, beauty, they still, they are not, and, and they're not willing to let that go, they are not approaching you with full sincerity. It's still there is like a mixed heart. And for full sincerity to happen, sometimes Krishna will play the flute in a more thunderbolt-like way. <laughs> and we will receive a very uh, unpredictable visit. <laughs> and that's his mercy, don't forget. And we will be invited to join him and choose again choose to preserve our values and our integrity, even if the price of that is losing everything else, which we never possessed. Again, <laughs> so you are not losing anything, but we feel we are losing so much mm -hmm. because we are being confronted with, with our sense of false possessiveness, actually. <laughs> At least we have to, that's why we need to understand very clearly, I, I don't owe anything, nothing is mine. The real question is not what's mine, what belongs to me. The real question is, who do I belong? That's the question I have to do, not what belongs to me. Nothing belongs to me. <laughs> who I, do I belong? That's the actual question. And that will put everything else into context. I belong to Krishna, and everything belongs to Krishna for that matter. So, Anyhow, a few words on this connection of the topic of radical remarks. So also, again, in our Gaudias, Gaudia groups, Gaudia communities, Gaudia Sanghas, we can continue to grow together in our dialogue and communication and, and treat each other, even as a community, more and more uh, gently and kindly and getting closer and closer to the standard of interaction that is in the, in the spiritual world, in the ideal world, getting closer to that. Because if not many times, we will end up perpetrating abuse 
I'm perpetrating abuse of Gaudias by Gaudias. <laughs> Sometimes Vaishnavas are abused in the context of other Vaishnavas, not being willing to, able to relate to one another. We may not have crusades and inquisition like Christianity had, but we have our own version of that sometimes. No? <laughs> Especially online, you have a good amount of that. On, on, online crusades, online... Yeah, and those in threats, you have all in digital inquisitions you, you can think of. So it's the same principle in one sense. Maybe you are not killing anyone, but you are promoting, you are, you are creating in the world that, that influence, that energy. So it's important that, that we remain open, willing to talk, willing to hear, willing to accept, willing to hold ourselves accountable, uh, willing to be, and to give freedom to each other, to express, to think for ourselves. Freedom is so important. And freedom is so related to, to surrender also. Because it's, it's, they are not opposites. Surrender is not lack of freedom. The, the greater the liberty the more voluntary will be my surrender. And we want that type of surrender. If we are not granted any freedom, our surrender degrades more and more. It's just like a forced labor or something. And, and Prabhupada says, I quoted in, in, in my book, Prabhupada says, in all spheres of devotional service, listen to this one, in all spheres of devotional service, freedom is the main pivot. Pivot, you say? In all the spheres of devotional service, freedom is the main pivot. <laughs> and then he says, without freedom, there is no execution of devotional service. There's something else, but no, we don't call, that's not devotional service. So we need freedom to remain in the center. <laughs> no? Even as Gandhi will say, well, let's give me the freedom to do to do it wrong no? because he was remember famously he will tell the british give us freedom in india and the british say you don't know what to do with freedom no? well at least give me the freedom to be wrong to do a mistake but, but give me the freedom <laughs> no? because again love is voluntary love is a voluntary choice therefore bhakti is also is love is, is a voluntary choice we have to have freedom to choose fully to do it or not to do it, <laughs> but the freedom has to be there. Mm -hmm. And so therefore we have to have the freedom to ask, the freedom to question, the freedom to think, to feel, to doubt, to offer a remark and to receive all that from others as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the freedom to also be properly educated so we can make, make the best choices in our life with that freedom. Mm -hmm. So it's somehow or other, hopefully we can more and more facilitate that in our lives, in the lives of others. So this is one another facet of radical personalism we want to share today. <clears throat> sorry if I extended myself a little bit too much, or sorry if the conversation was a little bit challenging, but those are the ones that I like. <laughs> Not I get kind of bored, so sorry. <laughs> That's what you can get from Swami Padmanabh, excuse me for any inconvenience. Uh, I don't know if you have any questions or comments, something you may like to share? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Maharaj, um, I hope you're like, I might need to brush off on this early. My son's here, so, mm. so thank you. Um, and I can feel you giving us a little push 
to um, go into the heart and hopefully it didn't feel too invasive no, 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 just no, like no, a little no. poking it's loving <laughs> poking a little bit so my personal journey recently the last few years especially I've had since with my TM but in association with these wonderful Vaishnavas and Vaishnavas um, it, it's kind of enabled me to be more independently thoughtful in my journey and bhakti um, which has been wonderful very, very liberating uh, in one sense and I, I don't, currently I don't have any position in, in the institution which I think aids that um, uh, you know journey so I guess my question is when we are feeling um, our heart uh, growing in, in terms of bhakti and our development is it possibly possible to be too independently thoughtful um, because sometimes it feels like where are the boundaries can I you know because in in, uh, in religious culture I guess you could say that there's certain areas that might be uh, enshrined as no-go areas I think you mentioned before you know things that are taboo or you know not can be discussed so how what are the parameters of being independently thoughtful and how if we are overstepping the mark in terms of our inquiry or our dialogue does Krishna show us mm. Mm. you know you might be stepping on some toes here or you might be mm. insensitive or so mm. I guess you see my line of how mm. do we feel our way around with this independently mm. thoughtful mm. hat on yeah yeah thank you for your question yeah and of course as I, as I mentioned these days yeah probably say I want you to be independently thoughtful but it doesn't mean that you can just be there on day one Right. So in the beginning, you may. He he wants to say that also. Those who are dependent enough, they can be independent. Mm -hmm. No. So like, like implying, <laughs> you follow my point? No. You you are like, I don't know. You, you learn from. Let's give an example. Disciple is surrendered to the guru and is learning from the guru and is dependent and is well situated and is. And in the beginning, the disciple is just like receiving from the guru because in the beginning is, i'm starting i'm in my baby stage i don't have too much opinions to give it's like if you go to the university to learn something and in class one you may not have too much to say to the teacher it's not like it's like shut up and listen <laughs> so to say right mm -hmm. because you don't know almost anything so it's just like receiving receiving and but thinking about that thinking as much as you can think because in the beginning maybe we don't even have too much parameters of how to think mm -hmm. that's why the guru should teach the disciple how to think not so much what to think although in the beginning it will be a little bit more like this 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 you think like this 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 like a father with a child in the beginning is like this and eventually it becomes more more dynamic more not black and white more flexible so there are times for each thing so I'm clarifying that just to make it clear that I'm not saying okay you are Bhakta Joe coming to the temple from day one just be independently thoughtful uh, it's like if you want to be independently thoughtful in Krishna consciousness first you have to know what's Krishna consciousness <laughs> and that takes time <laughs> That takes time. It's not just I'm learning one line and I know what's Krishna constant. No, that takes time. Um, so, so once we are properly educated, one, once we get some foundational um, 
knowledge and orientation in his spiritual life and and that's coupled with a proper attitude again of service and surrender it's not just like information but it's also like applying the knowledge that we are receiving in our relationships and what we are talking these days as sincerely as we can <clears throat> i will say that of course if, if, if a guru figure is there the guru figure should also try to or a mentor or an elder whatever the case which is always healthy uh, that person should also encourage and accompany the, the, the growth of the, of the baby so to say like a father with a child and a child is growing okay the, the parents have to be expert how to allow certain space freedom allow them okay to think they have questions they need to experience some things the, the parents cannot just like I don't know put the boy in the room till he's 18 <laughs> okay now you are you are elder you can go out you know, it's like he's a monster probably no he's coming out of the room or something so it's it's, it's a it's a gradual process no of exposure and, and and try and some failed attempt so many things will happen in between it's not that everything will Maharaj give you the magical formula so there are no problems sorry that there's no magical formula like that no? so so i will say that on one side we have to have that foundation and and at the same time we have to have lots of lots of introspection about uh, independently thoughtful doesn't mean that i'm how to say that my independence starts to go against the foundation of, of my tradition no? mm -hmm. but that i develop like my own criteria in the parameter of that tradition mm -hmm. now look so i receive an education a form formation you say on this revealed knowledge I learned that, I grow out of that, I become a devotee. But yeah, I have to become my own person, so to say, in bhakti. I have to develop my, my personality, my individuality in service. Again, not like for me, mm. but to offer my individuality in a, in, a, in a relishable way for Krishna. That's the ultimate offering. The ultimate offering is ourselves. We offer so much to Krishna food and incense stuff, <laughs> but ultimately all that is so we are the offering. We have to make of our Atma Sama Arpana. Arpana means an offering, Sama means complete. So the soul is the, we have to make of our soul a complete offering. So so I will say that it's important to keep the company of, again, of peers and elders. So if we are becoming too independently thoughtful, we will receive also some, some feedback, at least some <laughs> advice, some conversation. <laughs> yeah. no? Because if we are just by ourselves, that's too independently thoughtful. I'm so independent that nobody can tell me anything because I'm very independently thoughtful to the point that I don't accept any advice. That's too much. <laughs> right? So keep 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 yourself close with people that that love you, that you love, that both that you trust, and make it clear for them that hey, please, whatever you see, anything going on in me, feel free to share feedback because I, I need it. Mm -hmm. Because I'm trying to think for myself and trying to be an independently thoughtful person in service, but I don't know, maybe I can go too much beyond the line, so I I need 
rapport. I need feedback. But also we need introspection. No, not, not just, I'm just wildly doing my thing without thinking. And you tell me when something is wrong. No, you also think for yourself. You have daily introspection. No? Like, why, why, why I want to be independently thoughtful? Why? You, you have to ask that to maybe every day. Why I want to be independently thought? I mean, it's not something bad, but why? <laughs> and let's see what comes as a result, as a reply. And maybe that reply that comes, you, you question that. Now you bring more Purva Paksha, like Jiva Goswami does. No more arguments and see what... <laughs> like challenge your own, your own thoughts and your own opinions. So you reach a point that you really exhausted all the possible arguments <laughs> and you can see the, the truth for what it is, so to say, right? <clears throat> That's what I could say. Maybe again, I don't. I'm not giving you magical formula to no, to prevent any possible failing because they have to be those things as well. Mm. But I would say, yeah, be properly grounded in the knowledge of the tradition first. Be properly dependent in connection to well wishers and elders, and. And gradually you will feel, if you are intuitive, you will feel that the, the life situations are imbi inviting you to think for yourself. No? You, you, it will become like more intuitive, like, okay, I need to step with my own voice here. I need to, to think for myself in this particular. It's, it's too specific, too personal. I need to figure that out. No? And of course, you have a tradition, you have knowledge, you have well-wishers, but there is a part that it's up to you. <laughs> And you pray to Krishna, trying to be honest, and and probably it's not the most informed and perfect choice, but that's the best you can at that moment. And the next time you will make a better, a more refined choice and a more refined choice, and that's how we progress also. Mm -hmm. And yeah, never and never lose the, the taste for serving the Vaishnavas also, no, because it's not like I become so independent that yeah. I don't like to serve these guys anymore, <laughs> right? No, I like to be served by everyone. That's, that's my new independence now. I want to be the object of everyone else's dedication. It's like, oh, that's so much. No? So also trying to ground that with, yeah, with this proper humility and dedication. That's what I tell in a general way. Of course, you are asking for something personal, but also I know you've, I'm meeting you for the second time, so also I don't like like to give personal advice unless I know the person. Sure. <laughs> because sometimes I've seen that, that sometimes, uh, and I'm not saying you are doing that, but sometimes someone comes, like the other day I received an email from someone asking me uh, what to do basically with their life. <laughs> In terms of should I go to live here or go to live here and should I do this and that, and I'm like, who are you? <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> so, how can I tell you what to do with your life? I don't know who you are. I think first we have to introduce each other. <laughs> but again, maybe the person with good intention, good heart, have this like idea of, oh no, but Maharaj knows everything and he will at the distance, Krishna will tell him and he will tell me what to do and I will do that and it will be the perfect decision. Imagine if, imagine if I dare to tell him, yeah, yeah, marry, you go this, marry this girl and do that. <laughs> and then it doesn't work and he will feel two options. Or Maharaj was wrong or 
I must do something wrong because Maharaj has to be always perfect. Mm. And that person goes into a guilt trip that is torture. And I've seen that a few times happening. Mm. No. Like, Maharaj Gurudev, what should I work? Which car should I buy? Where should I live? <laughs> and, and the guru doesn't have to know all the things. Again, guru is a guru is teaching the scripture, giving hope example, but it's not your psychologist, your romantic advisor, your financial counselor. For that, you look for professional people if you need, but don't expect everything <laughs> from one direction. And so, anyhow, that's as much as I can say so far. <laughs> so I'm just reflecting what you say. Thank you, Maharaj. Yeah. Much. As we grow in bhakti, we want to strike a good balance between having guru or gurus, plural, without in terms of guidance. Mm -hmm. So trusting the chaitya guru within that it's not like in every situation we're going to be able to ring some up and someone up and say, what do I do here? Sometimes we have to trust the, the, the Paramatma to actually guide us as well. So that getting that balance yeah. Is, 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 yeah. is part of growth. And yeah. And, and that should be a form of humility also, no? because you, you will develop some healthy like self-confidence also. Not like in me independent from everything else, but in me as an individual being, having been blessed by bhakti, by sadhu sangha, and I developing this criteria and thoughts and feelings which seems to be aligned and inspired, and I have to be, I have to trust that. Mm. No? It's not like, oh, that's arrogance. You are, you, know, you should be humble. You don't know anything ever. You are stupid forever. You know, this type of things that sometimes are totally disempowering. Mm. Like you're going to think for yourself. You're always conditioned being. It's like, come on, wait. <laughs> That's, that's cultish, no, at one point. No? Uh, in certain stage, okay, I may need to stop thinking, because I, but in some cases I need to honor that, and I need to, to respect that. No? It's, like, it's like, yeah, the, at the end of the Gita, what does Krishna say to, the, to Arjuna after the whole Gita? Is he speaks to Bhagavad Gita and says, okay, this is what I told you, now you think about it and do act accordingly. He's not, he's not imposing anything on Arjuna. And Krishna is acting as a guru. Arjuna is a disciple. So Krishna is saying, I've talked, to, I've talked the Bhagavad Gita to you. Now you deliver it. Deliver it. Think about that. Deliver it on that. And act as you consider proper. Krishna didn't say, now you do this. He said, think, think about what I said and then act according to the conclusion you have reached in connection to what I said. So he's given that freedom. He's trusting also the disciple. Yeah. Thank no, thank you. Something else? You had a question? Yes, Brian. Um, based on the class this morning, um, mm -hmm. Radical Wholeness, okay. it, it got me thinking um, about, because you were saying, um, trying to accept all the parts of yourself and not suppress anything mm. and integrate them into a, a Krishna conscious life. Mm -hmm. And I got thinking of things that might um, not be so straightforward and might be more like long-term things. Like um, an example is from my own life... Um, artistic pursuits mm -hmm. like um, I've, I'm really interested in uh, 
music and acting, those are sort of my passion. Okay. And um, acting in particular, um, it's like, it's not always going to be um, very, it's not like, I, I've been in a theatre show and um, I was getting paid for it, so it's like, it's, it's work as well. It's getting paid to do something I love, mm -hmm. which is a really great situation. Um, but it's not Krishna conscious and it's, it's quite maybe even a little bit materialistic. Mm -hmm. Um, the actual content of mm. what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's something that I love and I, I don't want to just be like, oh, that's not Krishna conscious, so I can't do that. Mm -hmm. That that feels wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess my question is like, well, what's a good way to gauge something that because that those are things that could potentially be used in Krishna consciousness mm. Mm. and integrated, but mm. at this stage it's like it's hard to integrate it if mm -hmm. I'm just trying to um, take options that I can get that mm. aren't mm. Krishna consciousness now, mm. but they might be later. And mm. yeah, how do I gauge <laughs> what's how much I can <laughs> do that? <laughs> yeah, I get the point. Thanks for the question. Makes sense. And of course, it's applicable to so many other areas and mm -hmm. things in life that I think most of us sometimes have to do in order to, as you say, be, be able to do what we actually want to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And of course, at the end of the day, it's, it's one's own choice. No? So one has to always take responsibility for whatever choices one takes not as something bad just like okay i love this i choose to do that i like to do this and in order to do this first i'm doing this which is not the ideal of what i will like but it's a stepping stone in that direction okay but but one has to take responsibility i choose to do it i'm not like because sometimes we may victimize ourselves like I ended up in this situation and this happened, but, but one is choosing that, no? which is okay. But I'm saying we has to take responsibility. No? Like, like just comes to my mind in a situation I had a few years ago in a different direction, but in terms of this idea of responsibility, I was given a class and talking about spiritual topics in general. And at the end, one person is like, like an active volcano, and that's not a golden one. <laughs> <laughs> about to wrap and he raises his hand like trembling and it's like okay you can talk about all the things because you have time for talking and studying and practicing but I have eight kids and I don't have time for anything and he started like to do catharsis no? so I was okay at least he can come here and release some <laughs> And I was like, okay, so what to tell? It was not a question, it was just <laughs> an, an explosion, an, an eruption. Uh, and I, the only thing that came to my mind was, okay, uh, but, but you chose to have those eight children, right? No, not in a challenging way, but just like, don't complain about that, because you chose that. 
you chose. You chose. Maybe you were not con fully conscious through a garbadan, mm -hmm. samskar, and all this stuff, but you were there those eight times. Take responsibility. That's my point. Don't, don't do something that you choose to do and then complain the rest of your life for the fruits of that. That's not healthy for you. No. For you, with compassion for you, stop complaining. <laughs> and take responsibility. As hard as it will be, for sure, having eight kids, it will be complicated. <laughs> but it's your choice. You have to do something with that. You have to grow in that. It's a different situation, but I'm going back to the point of, okay, you are choosing acting or music or whomever is choosing whatever. It's our choice. No? So I choose that. I take responsibility. Nobody's to blame for anything that may happen in one direction or another. It's not my choice in life. And I invest myself with that. No? I think it's an important word, responsibility. It's not very popular nowadays, and it needs to be. <laughs> I didn't understand all the implications. When I took on the responsibility, I didn't understand all the implications. Mm -hmm. So then there's still this, you know, offloading the blame. Yeah, yeah, I get the point. Mm. Uh, and and, it, and I, I get the point. Of course, if, if you do something knowing the implications, like for example, they say in Shastra, if you admit there are implications, karmic implications, but if you don't know the implications of eating meat, the implications are not so heavy as if you admit knowing the implications. So in the same way, you may not know implications, but still there is some reaction because in some level you were involved in that. There is not the same degree of reaction, but we have to take responsibility on some level. There are levels of responsibility. I'm, I'm not with, with, when talking about responsibility, hopefully nobody feeling that responsibility is something bad. <laughs> no, it's, it's not like take responsibility for, for what you did wrong. No, take responsibility for everything you do. Something beautiful, something, I mean, just to, how to say, reclaim your own sovereignty, how is the word in English? Sovereignty. sovereignty. No, to be responsible. You cannot be responsible for me. I have to, to take the reins of my own char, card, so to say. So, sorry, going back to the situation. Yeah, I, I will say that, again, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm giving, telling you what to do, because, again, we are getting to know each other for these first days. <laughs> so here it's not Swami telling our young audience what to do in their life, and you have to do copy-paste of my instruction. We are just having a conversation, but, I mean, for me... It makes sense the idea that you had in mind. Okay, okay, I would like to act. I I like to do that in an ideal way in a Krishna conscious context. I, I like to connect my passions in life with my spirituality, which hopefully is also one of your passions. If it is, if not, okay, that's your choice again. <laughs> um, but of course, you may realize, okay, in order to get to that place where I can act and do whatever I like in acting, and, and I don't have just to do what others ask me to do, but in the beginning I may have to do something of that. As long as that, I mean, you have your own inner thermometer. No? If you feel, okay, this is really compromising my principles and my ideas, and it's extreme and too much, <laughs> you choose 
if you want to do that or not, or you feel is, okay, this is not the most transcendental thing, but also it's not something that really gets in the way of my, of my inner practice and ideal. And, and, and I don't plan to do this forever. It's just like a temporary situation, like a stepping stone to what I really want to do, which will be, I will say there is place for that to be realistic, no? because if we put the bar too high, like, no, that's Maya and only it has to be purely Krishna Lila dramas that you have to act on and, 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 and you have to live your life on that and people have to pay you for that and it's like, yeah, it's nice, but first I have to <laughs> act in a few other places and so that's, that will be my, ad, my advice, no? that, that you already, I think you figured that out. No? Okay, I have to do a few things that are not the ideal, they are stepping stone toward the ideal, I have that idea clear in mind in terms of long term, middle term, short term, what to do, how to, but also you remain attentive if you realize, okay, some of the things I'm doing now in short term starts to really distract me and affect my consciousness and, and I don't want to sacrifice that, then you may have to take some other decision. Or if you are willing to sacrifice that, well, that's your choice. I won't tell you what to do again, that's everyone's choice. Sometimes we choose to compromise some things. That's our choice, okay? I'm not here telling anyone what to do, but we have to take responsibility again. Uh, but if we don't want to, to see our Krishna consciousness, like, so to say, affected, diluted, uh, okay? So we have to keep an eye on how we can engage in what we are doing with a clear idea, okay, this is for, in short term, this is for attaining the long-term ideal version of that. And, and we are more, the main driving force to do what we are doing now is what we will be doing eventually, so to say, no? Uh, but maybe we have yet to, maybe to, to increase our <laughs> introspection and prayer, so to say, and practice so the, the new situation that is not so transcendental doesn't also affect us that much, no? I'm talking in general again, I, I don't know the details of, of all this, but that's what I will say. Yeah, I wouldn't cancel that like outright. No, that's not purely transcendental. But I, I wouldn't also just like, oh yeah, do it, no problem, it's okay. Because no, there can be things in the way and you can realize, okay, I'm getting distracted. Do I want to be distracted or not? So how much to compromise? How much do I want to compromise? Where are my loyalties? That's a, between us and Krishna, no? So we have to be clear about what do we want and how much we're willing to, to sacrifice for one thing, for the other. So that's up to decide. And so many times in life we have to take those decisions. <laughs> and if we are sincere, of course, Krishna will also inspire our hearts and give give answers and give guidance and give protection, give protection also. No? Yeah. I hope that helps. Okay. Okay, it's 8.25, so I think maybe we can, unless there is some last urgent question that won't allow you to sleep tonight. <laughs> if, if not, we can continue tomorrow. Yeah? Okay. So thank you so much for your time, your attention, your presence, your questions. See, 
सचिनंद गोरहरी की जय श्री श्री गौर नित्यानंद की जय श्री हरि नाम संकीर्तन की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रेमानंद हरि वो पंचकल्पतरुष्टा कृपा सिंधुभ्यचापतीजानम पवानेभ्यो वैष्णवेभ्य अनंतकोटिवैष्णवृंद की जय गौर हरि वो